Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There. Nature nerds to You're Gonna Die Out There podcast. I'm Jen. I'm with my co-host Megan. Hello. We are going to tell you some science news and some stories like we do. If this is your first episode, welcome. Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> we got some fun and games. No, let's just, <laughs> we'll stop there. Do you have any announcements, Megan? Anything I, you'd like to uh, bring up before we get started? I got nothing. Then I'm going to jump into my science news. I'm so ready. Which is actually a little bit of a carryover from our last episode on lightning. Oh. And I think you do have an announcement, don't you? Do I? Let's talk about your spelling error. <laughs> yes. So um, Megan kind of like crushed my soul. <laughs> because the lightning episode was, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was fun. And I, you know, I worked really hard on it, Megan. <laughs> Let me just issue a real quick public apology to yes. Jen. When I put up the stuff online, I type it in. And if it doesn't have a red squiggly line underneath it, I ignore. And thank you to one of our listeners who caught it before Jen saw it. Well, I saw their comment and I was like, what, what? Right. You spelled it lightening. Like when you lighten your hair using a lightening product. Yes. Not a lightning, a bolt from the sky. Yes. Listen, it says at the top of our thing, unrenowned. All right. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that right here. Unrenowned it's biologist. Okay, all forgiven. Yeah. Still love you. Okay, so but here, you kept asking during the episode. Well, you didn't. You asked like twice why we can't harness that energy yes. for powering stuff. Yes. Yes. So I wanted to tell you why. Each lightning strike on average has 5 billion joules. Do you know what a joule I, is? Yes, yes, it is a measure of heat energy. Yeah, it's equivalent to around 1,400 kilowatt hours of energy. If we assume zero loss in the transfer and right. storage of that energy. Also, lightning strikes over a year are around 1.4 billion. But... Um, only about 25% actually come to the ground. Remember I was saying how a bunch of them are inner cloud or between yes. the clouds, right? Yeah. And those we couldn't, we couldn't harness those unless we're like Zeus or something. Unless we had one of those flying machines from that movie with Michelle Pfeiffer where she's a witch. I don't, so I'm good. not following right now. People know what I'm talking about. It's okay, fine. Continue. Okay. Okay. I'm going to continue. Um, so that leaves about 350 million lightning strikes that could possibly be harnessed. So assuming 100% harnessing. Of all those 350 million and no loss in the capture or transfer of and storage of that energy. Yes. That is 490 billion kilowatt hours per year. The In June of 2009, this is pretty old. This article mm -hmm. is like maybe like six years old, but this, the numbers are using a little bit older. So I'm sure it's more now. Mm -hmm. The world used around 20 trillion kilowatt hours which is over 40 times the electrical energy that all the hypothetically harnessed land strikes would contain, right? Uh. So basically, all the lightning we could capture will give the world enough electricity for about nine days. <sighs> Sorry, Megan. Listen to what we would have to do Let's if we wanted it. to actually capture all the lightning strikes. Let's I mean, it's, it. it's no big deal. <laughs> so to capture all the lightning strikes on the land, we would have to put towers like the size of the Eiffel Tower height around the world in a grid formation about a mile apart. 
<laughs> Covering the entire globe, including the ocean. <laughs> it's no big deal. MBD. Totally possible. Easy. That's amazing. We would have, the earth would be like a little ball, like a puffer fish or something. That <laughs> it would, would look insane. like a puffer fish. Yeah. And then just the equipment it would take, right? Sure. To handle that amount. Because it's a pretty heavy duty charge, right? And it only happens within about 30 milliseconds. That's like the duration of a strike. It would have to be like super heavy conduction rods with ultra heavy duty electrical circuits. Listen, this is why I'm not in physics. (laughs) So, but I think a lot of people would ask that question. Sure. You can't assume that everything would be efficient. It's like 70 to 80% efficient at best if we had the best equipment even. And so it would only cost, um, just for the equipment, it would cost about $80 trillion. The electrical uh, circuitry storage would be around $450,000. Anyway, it's it's cheap. It's efficient. For sure. No impact to the environment, really. Nothing. Easy. Or one hour of sunlight has the same amount of energy that we use in the whole year, people. (laughs) So all we have to do is throw some uh, solar panels on the rooftops. And the question is, why haven't we done that? This is true. Really, they should be marketing solar panels by saying, like, we could either do lightning, harnessing lightning, or you could put a solar panel on your house. Yeah. Those are your options. I feel like people would choose the right way, you know? Yes. Let's just go solar. They should make solar equipment more affordable for people. Why is it the way it is? Because money, Jen. Let me just say that if we, if, you know, one day in the future when people are like, let's harness lightning when it finally happens, (laughs) um, and then our our earth will be irrevocably changed, like way worse than it is now. (laughs) so bad. Uh, we'll be living in the matrix. I mean, what you were describing makes me think of the fields of human bodies in the matrix. Well, that's u- using human bodies for energy. But I'm just saying that's what it reminds me of. Just like storms and people looking like pinhead walking around. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I feel so much more enlightened. Uh, <laughs> there you spelled it correctly. The, uh, you know what? Sort of. Kind of. Yeah. Science news done. Are you ready for a story today, Jen? Totally ready. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm excited Um, for you to hear what I'm going to talk about. I'm excited, too. You said it was somebody shared a story, and I didn't check any stories to Oh, I'm not not doing that one today. Oh, Oh, sorry. Today, I'm going to start out with some facts about geysers. Oh, you're doing that one. (laughs) Yes. Oh, finally. I'm so excited. I know. It's been on my list for a while. Oh, I mean, it's it's super creepy and terrible, but it's also like super interesting. Well, you know what? I think I've been doing a lot of like geology stuff. This is just the next step. Yeah, let's do it. More about the earth. I know nothing about (laughs) geology. This is great. I'm learning shit. All right. So the term geyser, G-E-Y-S-E-R in Mm -hmm. English is from the late 18th century Icelandic word geyser, G-E-Y-S-I-R, meaning one who gushes. Oh. So I guess you could call someone a geyser. Icelandic, huh? That's some Viking language right there. Uh, Geysers are made from a tube-like hole in the Earth's surface that runs deep into the crust. Mm -hmm. And alongside that tube are these pockets or subsurface reservoirs. So they're usually around volcanic areas. Uh Water that's in the lower part of that tube that's the closest to the magma starts to boil. And some of that water is forced upward. And then the water that's in the pockets, as that's boiling, turns to steam, right? And then Uh the steam pushes up underneath the water that's already moving upwards. And then that is what kind of expels, makes that big eruption that we see at the top of the geyser. So the eruption will keep going until all of the water that's in that tube is out or until the temperature inside the geyser drops below boiling. 
And just FYI, boiling is 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Just keep those numbers in mind. 200, okay, got yeah. it. Or 100 degrees Celsius. Because remember, we, at one point, we also talked about at what face your, uh, what face, <laughs> what, <laughs> temperature, at, what face temperature your face melts, melts off. off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we were talking about the mud. The mud volcano. Yeah, the mud volcano. And we were like, is that like a mud bath or will you just, your skin melt? Is it off? like a spa? Can we go there? Or do you just die instantly? Definitely die instantly. Okay. I think that's what we decided. After the eruption, the water will slowly seep back down into the tube and the process starts all over again. And depending on the size of the geyser, it's going to erupt anywhere from like a few minutes to a few days. They're constantly kind of erupting. They're in that cycle of like water goes up, comes back down. Once it builds up enough, boils, all that stuff, the pressure and all that. There are two types of geysers. There's a fountain geyser, which erupt in powerful, often violent bursts from pools of water. The second kind are called cone geysers, and those erupt as a steady jet of water from mounds or cones of geyserite. I hope I'm saying that right. Basically, it's this like silicone-based stuff that builds up. It's inside the tubes. Mm -hmm. It's a mineral, and it just kind of forms. When the geyser explodes, it like forms little mounds. So it builds up like like a cone. Oh, okay. Uh, Yellowstone is the largest geyser field in the world and home to half of the world's active geysers. There are over 1,200 geysers that have erupted in Yellowstone with an average of 465 active geysers in any given year. I did not know that. I knew it was, there was a lot, but yeah. I know those had the most in the world. Yeah. No, I didn't biggest in the world. That's pretty cool. Uh, the world's tallest active geyser is found in Yellowstone, and it's called Steamboat Geyser, and it can erupt at a height exceeding 116 meters or 380 feet. Wow, that's high. Yeah. Uh, the Valley of Geysers is in Russia, in Kamchka Peninsula. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only geyser field in Europe and Asia, and it's the world's second largest concentration of geysers with around 200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a big difference. El Tatio. Uh, meaning the grandfather, is a valley in the Andes in Chile. It has the third largest geyser field in the world with 80 active geysers. The Taupo Volcanic Zone that's found on North Island, New Zealand, that has hot springs and geysers. And the largest geyser ever known is the Waimangu geyser. It was in this volcanic zone. And it erupted from 1900 until 1904 when a landslide caused it to become dormant. So I guess closed it off. Ooh, that seems kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just going to shoot up again. Maybe one day. Like it's just building and building. So Iceland is the last place that has geysers. They have geysers and hot springs all over the country. The Haukadalor geyser. Perfect. Totally saying that right. That's a geyser field is home to the famous Great Geyser, which still erupts, but very rarely. The nearby Stroker, S-T-R-O-K-K-U-R, Stroker. Geyser erupts every five to eight minutes to a height of around 30 meters or 98 feet. There are something that are similar to geysers that have been seen on surfaces of moons within our solar system, including Saturn's moon Enceladus, 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 and Neptune's moon Triton. So there are things that look like geysers. They act like geysers. Hmm. On moons. On moons, yeah. A geyser's eruptive activity can change or stop due to that mineral buildup. Mm -hmm. So it can be affected by its own plumbing system. If there are like earthquakes or any kind of like like that landslide, geysers can go dormant from those things. So they're kind of fragile. I mean, you think of them as being really powerful, but they're kind of like these delicate straws inside the earth that if plugged up are just going to stop working. 
Aw, it's a little I mean, bit sad. Uh, most geysers form in places where there is rhyolite rock, which is a volcanic rock, and it dissolves in super hot water. And then those mineral deposits, that's called geyserite, right, that we talked about, that's where they kind of build up and they form inside along the plumbing system, the tubes that are like very slender. And over time, those deposits can strengthen the channel walls. But like I said, they can also clog it up. It's like a delicate balance. Yes. Geysers come in different colors. Greens, blues, yellows, oranges, depending mm-hmm. on what kind of things live in them. So back in the day, they were like, nothing can live in these because they were like way too hot. Mm-hmm. Over time, they found out that there are these thermophilic prokaryotes and they have these heat stable enzymes that help them stay active. Even when they're in these massively high temperatures, they actually have been used as a source for tools like tools that you're going to use in hot work, like thermostable tools. Uh-huh. Um, and they're also used in medicine and biotechnology. Oh. So I've like been kind of collecting them. I'm sure from other places other than like geysers, maybe like hot springs or something like yeah. that, depending on how hot they are. Right, right, right. Because I mean, hot springs aren't always okay to go in. Like sometimes they're too hot. They're too hot. Yeah. Yellowstone's Upper Geyser Basin is one of the most truly unique places on Earth. And this is the place where it ha- we have the highest concentration of geysers, including Old Faithful and the Morning Glory Pool, which we'll talk about in a minute. We'll talk about Yellowstone a little bit now, because why not? It was the nation's first national park established by Congress and President Grant in 1872. Most of Yellowstone, 96% of it, is in Wyoming, but parts extend into Montana and Idaho. The park is larger than Rhode Island and Delaware combined. And I'm like, wow, this is like the tiniest (laughs) states. But still, I mean, those are like states full of people. It's crazy. Still good size. Right. The elevation ranges from 5,282 feet to 11,358 feet. That's at Eagle Park. And about 80% of the park is forested. That's a lot of forest. Yeah. A lot of bears. A lot of wildlife. Yellowstone is named after the Yellowstone River, which is a major river running through the park. French Canadian trappers in the 1800s asked the name of the river from the Minotauri tribe who live in what is now eastern Montana. And they said that the name was Mi Se Adazi, which literally translates to Rock Yellow River. And then the trappers translated this into French as Roche Jaune or Pierre Jean. Uh In 1797, explorer geographer David Thompson used the English translation, quote unquote, Yellowstone. That's how we got to Yellowstone. Some fun facts. Yellowstone is home to the most remote spot in the lower 48 states. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, There's a southeast corner of the park, and it has a ranger station called, um, I guess, Thoroughfare. It's T-H-O-R-O-F-A-R-E. Yeah. Thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. Ranger Station. It is the most remote occupied dwelling in the lower 48 states. It's more than 32 miles from any other road or dwelling. And you have to use a horse to get there. Oh, that which doesn't I thought sound was too bad. I like how they're like in the lower 48 because Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> Different story. They're just laughing. They're yeah. Like, whatever. They're like, oh, you had to take a horse 30 miles. <laughs> uh, there are more than 2000 earthquakes in Yellowstone every year. 2000? Yeah. I wonder if you feel all of them. Right. I think that it would be something similar to here where we have like probably a lot of earthquakes. We have a lot because of trench. The strongest earthquake was in 1959 in the Montana portion of the park and it registered between a 7.3 and a 7.5 on the Richter scale. Wow. It took out roads. It actually created new geysers. Fun. It was said to have caused a landslide that killed 28 people. We haven't talked about earthquakes yet. Those creep me out. The Yellowstone caldera, 
like you mentioned, is known as a supervolcano. Its eruptions helped form the Snake River Plain. Molten lava is believed to exist as little as two miles below the surface. Still pretty far. But if you're like walking on top of it, it's just like two miles. But still. Just How saying. quickly can it just like come up? Blast and, up. Yeah. If that happens, it's your time. This is true. I mean. Which I guess will be in a while because it's most recent three. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's most recent three eruptions were 2.1 million years ago, 1.3 million years ago, and 640,000 years ago. That's what I was. I think that's what I was talking about. I was like, it's a super volcano, but you got a good like 200 million years until it blows again. Yeah. So. There's some time. You got time. You got time. By then, it'll just be a spiky earth full of light lightning <laughs> rods every mile. Controlled by computers. I can't wait. <laughs> there are nearly 300 waterfalls inside Yellowstone National Park. Wow. That's a lot of waterfalls. And at 308 feet, the lower falls of the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone is the tallest waterfall in the park. So there's this area in Yellowstone that's called the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. It's mm-hmm. not Grand Canyon. It's just the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. And I'm like, wow. We're going to the Grand Canyon like in a few weeks. I it's know. true. It's happening so, so fast, like I the know. summer. Yellowstone is home to the largest concentration of mammals in the lower 48 states, 67 species. 285 species of birds can be found in Yellowstone, and 150 of those are nesting uh, will nest there. Mm-hmm. There are more than 1,800 known archaeological sites within the park. And Yellowstone, I didn't know this, houses more than 720,000 museum items, including 30 historic vehicles, millions of archive documents, and more than 20,000 books, many rare, manuscripts, and periodicals. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, oh, can you like go hang out there? Sounds like it. Uh, There are approximately 1,000 miles of hiking trails in Yellowstone, and there are more than 10,000 hydrothermal features in Yellowstone. The four types of features are geysers, hot springs, mud pots, and fumaroles. Fumaroles? I don't even know. That sounds not attractive. F-U-M-A-R-O-L-E-S. Fumaroles. It sounds like an alternative for a muffin top. (laughs) That's what I'm... Exactly where I'm going. <laughs> That's amazing. I feel you. <laughs> I'm just going to start calling my muffin top a fumarole. <laughs> like, that's just my fumarole. Don't worry about it. It's sexy as hell. <laughs> All right. And we talked about how delicate some of these features, especially geysers, are. So let's talk about how humans have disrupted that delicate balance, Jen. Like we do. So one disruption, kind of a large, large scale disruption, would be a geothermal power plant. Um, and those actually reduce the water content that are in the geysers and can cause them to become dormant. Um, But it's not just large scale issues. It's also things that are very small scale, like a tourist. But when you have a lot of them. Yep. So let's start with the 1800s. We'll we'll go to this place called Handkerchief Pool, because who doesn't like a handkerchief? I know we do. We like a pool. We like a handkerchief. Handkerchief Pool was a small geothermal pool that rangers discovered was able to suck small items like handkerchiefs down into the depths and then return them back up. I don't know how long it took. It sometimes took a lot of time or not a lot of time. So it became a super popular tourist attraction where a lot of women, I think it was like mentioned that mostly it was women who were interested in this, would go over with their handkerchief. You would lay it on the surface of the water and it would get sucked down and then it would come back up and then the ranger or another person would take a stick and then kind of fish it out. But this was a kind of a small pool and they actually they actually instead of putting like a boardwalk around it like how 
people know like, oh, to not disturb this area, we should put up a boardwalk because it's very delicate. Um, they actually paved <gasps> around it. Yeah. Oh, no. They paved the surface so people could get there easily. And, and it was like, it's a very small, I'm going to put a picture up. It's a really small pool. Yeah. But people didn't just use it for handkerchiefs. So that started out with handkerchiefs. Uh-huh. And then people also started throwing in coins uh-huh. because wishing wells were a thing. Uh-huh. Uh, bottles, pins, and rocks. And by 1928, the handkerchief pool was too clogged to function. So it is no longer. Oh, my God. Yeah. That would be like crazy to go like explore that, like unclog it and find all kinds of crazy shit all the in things. there. Yeah, yeah. Like, we'll talk about another pool where they actually do that. We'll, we'll talk about why it's difficult. But you would think that people would learn from this mistake, Jen. Like, they ruined this nice little pool. Wait, are you saying people, like, repeat history? All the time. In recent time, August 2014, a drone crashed into the giant grand prismatic spring and, of course, disappeared. The spring is, like, I forget how deep. It's over 100 feet deep. Mm -hmm. It's the the third largest hot spring in the world. Park rangers can usually retrieve, like, some trash and debris. They use this kind of mechanical arm to pick up trash within a reachable distance, but as soon as it's like further, it's more difficult. Because the water is super hot, like 250 degrees Fahrenheit hot. Wow. They can't just like jump in and get it. No. Right? Or like put their hand in. No, it's not going to happen. Because they'll just come back up with like... Nothing. (laughs) Literally nothing. (laughs) They were not able to retrieve this drone. The drone was flown by a tourist from the Netherlands named Theodorus van Villet. Oh man, poor guy. Just throwing his name out there. Well, he was charged. It's fine. Um, And because it is illegal to fly a drone in Yellowstone, a U.S. federal judge later ordered Van Villet to pay $1,000 in fines and $2,200 in restitution. Don't be flying your drones around. Old Faithful was once used as a laundromat. What? Uh, In the 1880s, members of the Washburn Langford Doany expedition discovered that clothes placed inside the crater became totally clean once they were ejected by Old Faithful. It's like a washing machine. Yeah. Thank you. Who went up to it to put the clothes in to begin with without getting like sprayed? That very smart woman who was just sick of washing everyone's clothes. She's like, I'm done. Or she was like mad at her husband and she just like took all his clothes and threw them in there. And then they came flying out and they were clean. And she's like, hmm. Perfect. (laughs) Done. So the Old Faithful laundromat wasn't just used by that group of explorers. I think they were the first ones to use it out. And then once it became very popular, their infantrymen also did that. Um, The only thing they wouldn't put inside the geyser was wool, because apparently wool came out super shredded. And shrunken. (laughs) Just so small. It was just little tiny. So yeah, (laughs) they're like, oh, we can't do that with the wool. Yeah. And wool was a real big thing back then. Like people wore wool all the time. Yeah. Even in Antarctic. Bad choice for cold weather also for geysers we're learning a lot about wool the gift shops and hotels nearby yellowstone actually also used to keep soap and lye in stock for the sole purpose of throwing into the geysers even park rangers and scientists would do that to induce an eruption oh and that continued until the late 1880s that's bad science well it was the 18 it was the 1800s they were doing all kinds of bad stuff back then Yeah. yeah 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 The worst example of geothermal damage is at the Morning Glory pool. It was named Morning Glory because it resembled the Morning Glory flowers, like Mm -hmm. the blue. It was super deep blue. And now they call it the Fading Glory. So yeah, it started out with these beautiful blue waters. But over time, visitors and vandals have thrown trash, coins, and even a couch into the pool. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm just waiting to hear how many humans have been thrown in there to dispose of their bodies. (laughs) Right? Strangely, like none that we know of. Yeah. 
Because, I mean. They're not on the list. I mean, I, maybe we just don't know. Right? Well, I'm they might saying, come back up, Jen. super mafia. <laughs> it would be. Yeah. For sure. People also removed the scalloped border. There's this, like, delicate scalloped border of that kind of silic- silicate geyserite that was around the edges, and people mm-hmm. would remove it and keep it for souvenirs. Uh, in the late 1950s, there was so much trash in this pool, and it was so well known as a dumping spot that people called it the garbage can. In the 1970s, rangers partially drained the Morning Glory pool and attempted to remove as much trash as possible. So they used like a pump. They found socks, bath towels, 76 handkerchiefs, $86.27 in pennies, $8.10 in other coins. Overall, everything they removed, they found 112 different objects. They weren't able to remove all of the debris, and a lot of it ended up settling at the bottom or on, like, deeper sides of the pool that they couldn't get to. And what ended up happening is it causes issues with, like, the circulation of the water, the warm water throughout. Mm -hmm. So that blue color is made by specific organisms that are, like, super heat tolerant. They want the hotter water. As the edges of the pool kind of cooled down because there's not good circulation, now there are different organisms coming in like a microbial kind of plots, right, things that come right. in. It's turned the edges from that beautiful blue color, like it was like solid blue. Now it's like orange, yellow, green. And then in the center is the blue. They're just dying off in the center. Very sad. Um, let's talk about the Minute Geyser. It was called the Minute Geyser because it erupts every 60 seconds and up to 50 feet high. But early visitors clogged the larger vent by throwing rocks into the geyser. And today, now only smaller vents on the sides erupt on an irregular schedule. I didn't know this was going to be a depressing episode, Megan. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Traveling salesmen were known to dip horseshoes and bottles into the hot springs, allowing the limestone deposits to coat the objects. And then they would have like these unique souvenirs. So it would just come to the edge of that kind of stuff. But when you're walking up to the edge, you're damaging the edge of those pools. Yes. Because again, there's like a delicate straw into the earth. Yes. Other damage includes throwing logs into the ebony geyser and handkerchief pool, clogging abuse spring, which I'm like, wow, that's who came up with this name (laughs) Um, and thud geyser with trash and objects by hotel employees. So I don't know if they were just like throwing out the trash into their like, where do we throw this? And they're like, just Just, straight into the geyser. Just throw it in the geyser. It'll eat it up. They just think it's like a vat, like an open-ended, I mean, sure, back then. Straight into the earth. This doesn't, we don't know what this is. We don't understand. Right. It's just like a hole of water and things go away. Um, Hank Heisler, Yellowstone's chief geologist, says, anytime you step off a boardwalk, you can disturb a very sensitive geothermal formation. So every time people are walking over there, Mm -hmm. dumping their trash or whatever, they're going to disturb this area. Obviously, stepping, just stepping in it can cause irreparable damage. Throwing stuff into the geyser seems like just the worst. Let's move on and talk a little bit about hot water tolerance for humans. Let's do. Okay, so, you know, I was telling you, I was listening to Huberman Lab. Oh, yeah. And he talks a lot about going into like a really hot bath and you can't stay in there for too long or, or going into super cold. And it's like ways to shock your system. And you get those kind of like endorphins and your body and your blood pressure does things as though you had just worked out. Right. So there's something to kind of like heat stress and cold stress. Sure. So I'm very curious what the extreme heat is. Let's start out with air temperature first. So in terms of air temperature, there's an article from MIT on climate change that says a wet bulb. A wet bulb is when you put like a wet cloth on a thermometer and it, uh-huh. it mimics sweating. 
Okay. Like what it would be like if we sweat. This article says that a wet bulb temperature of about 35 degrees Celsius around 95 degrees Fahrenheit is pretty much the absolute limit of human tolerance, says Zach Schlater, a physiologist at Indiana University, Bloomington. Above that, your body won't be able to lose heat to the environment efficiently enough to maintain its core temperature, basically meaning you can't sweat. Ew. That doesn't mean that the heat will kill you right away. But you can cool, if you can't cool down quickly, brain and organ damage will start. So for water, a number of sources that I used indicate that a human can tolerate up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit in water, but that 106 to 108 is really the highest that you comfortably want to be at. 120 is actually what most people's hot water heaters are set to. Some of them are set a little bit higher, uh-huh. um, but that's so that you kill off bacteria that might be in your hot water heater. You okay. don't want to be pumping bacteria laden water into your pipes. And actually, if you sit in a hot tub, it's usually set between 100 and 102 degrees Fahrenheit, which FYI doesn't kill harmful bacteria. It's just, you're just sitting in it. You're just sitting in it. Hot tub. <laughs> it's <laughs> Will it make me sweat? Yeah. <laughs> I said hot tub. Will it make me wet? <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Oh. It's a little, like, a little Eddie set, SNL action. flashback. Yeah. So good. What happens if you fall on a geyser, though? Because that's significantly hotter than a hot tub. So I'm going to read a couple excerpts from the What If Show article I found because they don't mess around. Oh, really? The What If Show? I found it on whatifshow.com. Nice. Yeah. i check that out. I think my search was like, what if you fall on a geyser? All right. So just kind of a warning because some of this can be like a little bit graphic. Bring it. We're all here for it. As soon as you fall into a geyser, your skin is going to react very quickly to the hot water. Old Faithful in Yellowstone has been measured at 95.6 degrees Celsius or 204 degrees Fahrenheit. That's... A big difference. It's a double. In what you're able to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You would feel an immense amount of pain. And it's safe to say that this would be the most intense burn you've ever experienced. And probably your last. That sounds Mm -hmm. terrible. You'd be in agony from a full thickness burn with all three layers of your skin affected. Your top layer skin would start to burn and then your blood vessels would burst. Your under layers of skin would then lose their water and turn black, causing them to feel leathery. And any fat you might have would quickly bubble and be melted off. (gasps) I hadn't even thought about that. That sounds awful. What's left of your body might then be shot up into the air as a geyser can erupt its water every couple hours or even shorter amounts of time. Uh So all the tourists, this is from the article, okay? Okay. So all the tourists visiting this geyser would watch your body as it goes up and then back down and then up and then back down again. Half melted body. They actually have a picture. I mean, it's like a a drawing Uh of like like a geyser and then like a little body at the top. And I'm like, wow, you guys, is that necessary? Oh man. Um, If you somehow managed to survive all the burns and being thrown around by the geyser, you'd still have even more to worry about. And that's because most geysers have extremely acidic waters and combined with a high temperature, there's a good chance they'll be able to dissolve your body entirely within just a couple of hours. See? It's totally possible. That's what I'm saying. I didn't find anything that, that was like you know, so-and-so's body was dumped here. So I'm going to talk about people who've fallen in or jumped Uh into the water and have either died or been like severely burned. But I didn't read anything about anybody, any kind of like crime. I'm sure there is though. There's got to be. I mean, I, I imagine that at this point, it's pretty well, not guarded, but I'm sure there's some sort of security. So it might be harder, but how would you document it if it just disappears? So in an average season, 
mm-hmm. at Yellowstone, two or three visitors suffer serious burns from Yellowstone hot springs, geysers, or other thermal features. So I took a lot of this information from various outside online articles and from the National Park Service sites. Okay. There's a park historian. His name is Lee Whittlesey. Um, He says, death is a frequent visitor in raw nature and Yellowstone Park, despite the cabins and roads, is raw nature. So I feel like we've talked about this before. Yeah, you're going to a place that's like very dangerous. Right. Like be on guard. You're making a choice to go into that environment. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Whittlesey wrote a book detailing all the records of any kind of death in Yellowstone. And the book is called Death in Yellowstone, colon, Accidents and Foolhardiness in the First National Park. Oh. I was going to listen to it. It's 16 hours long. So I was like, I cannot do this right now. (laughs) But it's any kind of death. I want to listen to that. That's been recorded. Or read it if I have time, but for sure. Whittlesey identified at this time 19 human fatalities from falling into thermal features. The victims include seven young children who slipped away from parents, teenagers who fell through thin surface crust, fishermen who inadvertently stepped into the hot springs near Yellowstone Lake, and park concession employees who illegally took swims in thermal pools. Wait, wait, wait. They chose to go try and swim in a thermal pool? They thought they were going to, like, one you could swim in. Oh. That would be, like, tolerant. I guess they called it, quote, hot pot swims. I don't know if there was some, like, pot involved as well. Maybe that's why. Or if they're... (laughs) Probably. Or if they're referring to, like, hot pot. But are there hot springs there that you can swim in and they just got them confused? I mean, it's possible. There are some, I think, that you can go in that are, like, okay. Okay. You, You won't die. Right. Interestingly, no record exists of Native American injuries or deaths from hot springs, Whittlesey says, though, quote, perhaps it happened. Before Europeans arrived in the 19th century, according to the park's official history, local tribes used the hydrothermal waters for medicine, religion, uh, and practical purposes for hundreds of years. The Dragon's Mouth steam vent near Mud Volcano was where the Kiowa tribe believed their creator bestowed upon them the Yellowstone area as their home, the Tukudika dipped sheep horns into the springs to make them pliable and suitable for bows. I was going to ask, I mean, before, you know, in this 1800s, like, this yeah. is Yellowstone National Park. It's like, well, where did all the Native Americans, that was Native their Americans get, like, yeah, yeah, shifted to that time. Yeah. The first scalding in the region's history was likely in 1870. That same expedition that used Old Faithful as... The laundromat, the uh-huh. uh, Washburn Langford Doany Doany Doan expedition. One of their members was separated from them. His name was Truman Everts. He was an assessor in the Montana Territory and spent 37 days wandering through the wilderness and was burned on his hip near Heart Lake while trying to seek warmth from a nearby hot spring. Um, and actually, Everts made it out. He survived and was eventually he got out of the park. I feel like I saw something about this guy. Yeah, like there's pictures. Yeah. And he looks he looks pretty messed up. At least four people were scalded in the 1880s, including a senator from New York. Mm. The first death was likely that, and this is very sad, of James Joseph Stumbo. He's a seven-year-old from Montana who fell into a hot spring on a visit to the park in 1890. And Whittlesey says that children are frequently involved in hot spring accidents because they will run off if people aren't watching them to Mm -hmm. make sure that they're okay, if their parents or caretakers aren't watching. Yeah. In 1970, also very sad, a nine-year-old Andy Hike from Williamsville, New York, tripped or slipped into the scalding waters of Crested Pool near Old Faithful. Um, He swam a couple of strokes, then sank in front of his family. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? I cannot. 
the even. parents or the family or any onlooker, but especially like the parents. Yeah, awful. And also, you can't get them out. You cannot. Oh my god. Um, David Kirwan, and this is actually an example of that. Um, da- David Kirwan it was a 24 year old from California, and July 20th, 1981, he was at the park with his friends. His friend had a dog named Moosey. And the dog jumped into the um, Celestine pool. Uh, it was a 202 degree spring. Kiron, seeing the dog suffer, uh, prepared to dive in. Someone yelled at him, don't go in there. And he yelled back, like hell I won't. And he dove in headfirst into the water and he died the next morning from his burns. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, so, okay. So wait, he dove in and then they were able to get him they out? They were able to get him out. He was still alive. Ugh. I mean, the dog did not survive. Obviously, it was in yeah. water before him. Um, and then, yeah, he died the next morning in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. In August of 2000, 20-year-old Sarah Hulpers, uh, she was a park concession employee. And I think this is the one we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, she and a couple of her uh, friends or co-workers went with her on a hike through the Lower Ge- Geyser Basin. Um, and the night that they went, um, they were, I guess, planning to go swimming with uh, some other friends at Firehole River. There was no moon that night and they didn't bring flashlights for whatever reason. And they thought that they were going to be jumping into a small stream when actually they fell into Cavern Springs 10 foot deep boiling waters. Hulpers went completely underwater and died several hours later from third degree burns that covered her entire body. And the two men who were with her spent months in a Salt Lake City hospital recovering from severe burns over most of their bodies. So they did survive, but she did not. So they all fell in. They all fell in. Oh. I think they all jumped in. Ugh. I'm just wondering if they, if you can, if because they're planning on going to like a hot spring, so you already can feel the warmth mm-hmm. of the earth. You just don't know how hot it is. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that she jumped in and then they got burned getting her out. Oh, maybe. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. It didn't, I didn't read too much about that one. Mostly these are just like quick things yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. just awful. In June 2006, a six-year-old Utah boy suffered serious burns after he slipped on a wet boardwalk uh, in the Old Faithful area. The boy fell into hot water that had erupted from the nearby West Triplet Geyser. So he survived. In 2016, 23-year-old Colin Nathaniel Scott of Portland, Oregon, walked off the designated boardwalks in Yellowstone's Norris Geyser Basin and fell into a boiling hot spring. The water was approximated to be upwards of 199 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and it likely killed him in a matter of moments. But wait, he walked off? He walked off the boardwalk. So there are now paths that you take that are on boardwalks, Uh and you're not supposed to leave the boardwalks. It's hard on everybody, said spokesperson Charissa Reed. We're certainly sad for his family, and it's not an easy thing for the rangers either, who were tasked with retrieving his body. Colin Scott was the 22nd person on record to die. Yeah, so Wellesley's book, the book was already written. He had, at that time, recorded 19, and then this is 22. All right. In 2020, a woman visited Yellowstone while it was closed because of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and she ended up sustaining serious burns when she fell into a hot spring um, or a steam vent. They're not sure which one. Uh, When she was taking photos, she was reportedly backing up while taking photos and fell into the hot spring or hole. I guess it was near Old Faithful. Despite her injuries, the woman drove for roughly 50 miles or 80 kilometers until park rangers stopped her near Mammoth Hot Springs, and then she was flown to a hospital in Idaho. Wow. Yeah. And she I'm assuming she was alone. Maybe she like called them for help or something, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was closed. October 2021, a 20-year-old woman from Washington was visiting Yellowstone with her father. When they got out of their car at Maiden's Grave Spring, their dog jumped out too and ran into the hot spring. Um, she ended up going in after the dog 
and she had to be pulled out from the spring by her father. Um, he drove her to West Yellowstone in Montana, where she got initial treatment. And then she was actually flown to a burn center in Idaho Falls. And then this is the weirdest part of this article that I read. They're like, somebody else rescued the dog. And the father said he planned to take it to a vet. And I'm like, you, you're planning on taking it to a vet? Like, did you not like just immediately take the dog to the vet? I'm super confused by that. Yeah, maybe that was worded poorly. But yes. But yeah. or poorly worded. Poorly worded. I'm I'm wording things poorly. <laughs> so the dog survived? I guess so, yeah. Put the leash on the dog before you open the door. Man. September 2021, just one month earlier from the last story, a 19-year-old concessions employee from Rhode Island suffered second and third degree burns near the Old Faithful Geyser and was also taken to that same Idaho burn center in Idaho Falls. It's a popular place. So over the years with all of these injuries and burns and deaths, uh, Yellowstone really makes an effort to post signs and kind of drill it into everybody's head. Like, be careful and only stick to pathways that are provided, not just for personal safety, but also for the features, the viability of these delicate features as well. Yes. But... Some people don't listen. Uh, this was recently. Madeline Casey, 26, she's from Connecticut, was charged with travel and charged and sentenced, by the way, with traveling in the thermal areas and disorderly conduct, according to court records. Miss Casey and two others with her, who were not identified in the statement, made their way to a thermal pool and geyser at Norris Geyser Basin. That's one of the largest thermal areas. I think I mentioned it earlier. After they had left the marked boardwalk during their visit, in addition to jail time, Miss Casey was ordered to pay a $1,000 fine, a $1,000 community service payment to the Yellowstone Forever Geological Resource Fund, and $40 in fees. They said that worried onlookers took photos and videos of the three of them as they left the boardwalk, walking over the thermal ground. And this is a quote from Morgan Warthon, who's the Yellowstone National Park spokesperson. The ground is fragile and thin, and scalding water just below the surface can cause severe or fatal burns. And the authorities said that the park does a, quote, darn good job of warning people to stay on the boardwalk and trails in thermal areas and educating them about the unstable ground, boiling water, and scalding mud. Yet, there will always be those like Miss Casey who just don't get it, Bob Murray, the acting U.S. attorney, said in the statement. Although a criminal prosecution and jail time may seem harsh, it's better than spending time in a hospital's burn unit. Or death. Or death. Why would you chance it? They want to take pictures or whatever. Around that same time that this happened with uh, Miss Casey, there was a man who was cited for walking in a thermal area. And then his fine was actually later dismissed. He had said that he didn't see the signs warning people not to enter that area because they were too low to the ground. He's like, I'm eight feet tall. He said, I just wanted to see where the steam was rising and get a picture. Once I got the picture, I went back to my truck, but they said I had passed through the thermal area. According to the National Park Service website, the Norris Geyser Basin is the hottest and oldest of Yellowstone's thermal areas. Evidence suggests that Norris has had thermal features for at least 115,000 years and very few of them below the boiling point of water. The kid from the 70s, mm-hmm. the nine-year-old Andy Hike, his parents mounted a nationwide campaign to improve the national park safety. And then they actually, I guess, had brought a wrongful death suit against the National Park Service at that time. Yeah. And they eventually settled in that in court in the 1970s they're like here's five thousand dollars yeah seriously though i'm sure back then things weren't that good yeah no i'm sure i think you could still walk up to features yeah yeah. i mean we weren't even using car seats this is true or seat belts (laughs) a wyoming judge threw out a lawsuit by lance buki i think i'm saying that right buchi and this is one of the guys who was with sarah holper and was severely burned um so i guess he had 
uh, brought a lawsuit against the the park officials saying that they failed to give adequate warning about the thermal feature dangers. But Sarah Holper was a park employee. Yeah. At like one of their, you know, not like a park ranger, but she like worked at the park. Yeah. And then they were out in dark with no flashlights. I feel like, I mean, that seemed like kind of a bad choice all around. So he didn't win that lawsuit. No, the judge threw it out. Okay. If you're going to go into a park, you have to know the laws, the regulations, Mm -hmm. and you have to follow it. It's true. We try to educate people starting when they come through the gate. Brandon Gauthier, the park's chief safety officer in 2021, says park managers have installed guardrails near some features, but they walk a fine line between giving visitors a chance to get close to popular attractions and ruining the natural landscape that national parks were created to preserve. Rangers stress that is that it is important for parents to keep a close eye on curious and rambunctious children when they visit thermal areas. There are a lot more people around geothermal areas than in the backcountry, Gauthier says, and the unwary can get hurt badly if they stray off established paths. Yep. Those are all of my stories. I have an organization to support. A little bit of a quick episode. I don't know if I satisfied all of your... I was wondering who jumped in by choice. Well, I mean, definitely the guy who wanted to try and save the dog. But in terms of like, are you talking about people who are going to unalive themselves? Yes. I didn't read anything specifically about people who do that. I wonder if someone did decide to end their life that way. Mm -hmm. They probably weren't found. I would think they would be like a missing person. They would go alone. Probably at a time when there aren't Well, I wonder how many missing persons there are in Yellowstone. For the leading causes of death at Yellowstone, Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that it's like bears, but it's not. I think since 1872, eight people have been killed by bears. I thought you say like eight people a year. It's (laughs) fine. Eight people a year. It's okay. No, most people die from drowning, burns from mm-hmm. hot springs and then suicide. I feel like there's probably a lot more to this that we wouldn't know because you just jump in there and you disintegrate. Sure. In a few hours. There is also that weird thing in Yellowstone about the quote unquote zone of death. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. you never heard about this? Mm-mm. Oh man. Okay, so there's this 50 square mile part of Yellowstone and it's in Idaho. Okay. And they, they say it has a loophole in the Constitution, basically saying that you could avoid any conviction for any major crime up to and including murder in this 50 square mile area. What? Yeah. It's this thing that I've, I've heard about it on like crime shows and stuff, uh, but it's, it's kind of like... I forget exactly how it works. The U.S. state's district court for the District of Wyoming is currently the only United States district court to have the jurisdiction over parts of multiple states. This includes all of Yellowstone National Park, which is slightly beyond Wyoming Mm -hmm. into Idaho and Montana, right? Right. But the federal government has exclusive jurisdiction over the park. So crimes committed in the park cannot be prosecuted under any of the state's laws. Right. Does that make sense? It has to go under the federal so trials that are in the district court are normally held at the federal courthouse in Wyoming. But the Sixth Amendment to the United States Constitution says that juries in federal criminal cases must be made up of citizens who are from both the district and the state where the crime was committed. And because of this, charges for a crime alleged to have been committed in the area of the park in Idaho would have to be tried before a jury consisting entirely of residents of that area. But no one lives there because... It's a federal park. Oh, that is a loophole. I mean, as a defendant, you have a choice. Yeah. Like, do you want a jury or judge? But is there a choice if you have no jury, if you go by those laws? I'm just saying, that's crazy. Right. Weird. Interesting. You never heard about that? Mm-mm. So I guess if you want to commit a crime, you should go to that 50 square, yeah, miles of... Uh, Are there geysers in there? I don't, I don't so know. You can make some people disappear, <laughs> is mean, all I'm saying. That's... Mm-hmm. The, I didn't... 
Don't do right, that. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, don't do that. Instruction manual. I'm yeah, don't saying. do it. That's really bad. Well, thanks, Megan. That was really interesting. It's good times. We, uh, we've gotten a lot of um, listener requests for that. Geyser deaths. Yeah. Yeah, in yeah. general. And so that sounds horrific. It seems. It sounds like a terrible way to go yeah. and even a terrible thing to live through because getting burned, I mean, even when you just burn yourself a little, it is super painful. I would hope that your brain would just shut off. Like the immense amount of pain, maybe it would be for a second, but then just shut off. I know off. for a lot of burn victims, yeah, it's a lot of drugs to yeah. try and just numb that pain because... Yeah. It's intense. I can only imagine. Now I'm kind of scared to go there. Well, I think you just stay on the boardwalk. Duck take my kids to me. A thousand percent. <laughs> it's just like... Don't take any don't, animals. Not taking the dogs. Floki would just be in... The, he would just fly and jump in there. Yeah. In a second. And I'd be You'd like, be no, so Floki. Excited. No. And I'd be like, I'm not coming to get you. I'm sorry. sorry. I love you, but it's not happening. I felt nervous seeing uh, the volcano on Hawaii Island from oh, like yeah. a very far distance. Yeah. I yeah. was like, wow, that's this is making me nervous because you just think about what's underneath you. Yep. Yep. Well, if anybody has any stories they'd like to share, yeah, we might get some stories and put them on an episode. If you have some interesting Yellowstone stories, tales, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that um, was that was pretty interesting. What's your organization to support? Yes, my organization to support. I someone ended up. I think it was the woman, Miss Casey, mm-hmm. gave some money to this group. It's Yellowstone Forever. Oh, cool. uh, that's found at www.yellowstone.org. Uh-huh. Uh, Yellowstone Forever is the official nonprofit partner of Yellowstone National Park, which we've talked about on many episodes before. Yes. National parks can't raise money. They have to have a foundation. That's mm-hmm. these people here. Um, they say we protect, preserve, and enhance Yellowstone National Park through education and philanthropy. So they are a good place to go and give money for all different kinds of things. They do good stuff. I'm and sure they sell a lot of cool stuff on their website. Yeah. Not soap to throw into the... Uh, geysers anymore but nothing yeah uh, i do like that when people are now being prosecuted for not following the rules at yellowstone they Mm -hmm. have to give money to these people oh i love that yeah that is very good super cool yeah oh interesting so that is my story so jen here we are it's that time of the episode what would you take in your emergency preparedness kit you know there's a lot of things here in most cases in a lot of cases it just boils down to following the rules and some common sense you just said boils down too. I did that on purpose, but I didn't. But it's so great. Anyway, so what I'm thinking is, you know, there needs to be something like that will keep you on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. So you can't get off the boardwalk. Yeah, yeah. Like some sort of like if you had to wear a special boardwalk shoes were somehow like magnetic or had connected to the boardwalk that if you stepped off of it, it would just pull you back. Right. So no matter how hard you tried, and these are like strapped to your feet. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you can do to get off the boardwalk while you're at Yellowstone. I like it. Kind of like those carts that you have at the, like, if you go to Target and it has like a little thing that stops exactly. it from rolling. Exa- yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a protective mechanism right. to keep people. So it's like you're, it's like you have to check in and get your bowling shoes, but in this case, your boardwalk shoes. Right. Before you can play. I like it. And that keeps you on the boardwalk. You're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You could even get some for your your pets, like a collar, right? Yeah, that's our harness or something. Yeah, that just keeps them on the boardwalk. You cannot get off. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. I like it. So some special boardwalk shoes, special boardwalk shoes, or Yellowstone boardwalk shoes. TM. Listen, we're gonna make so much money off of this. Probably millions. I'm just guessing. Definitely. I'm just throwing out a number, but Definitely. millions. <laughs> I like it. 
I mean, they could. You could even go into business. Like I feel like Disney would be into. It makes me think like the monorail yes. or something. You know that you're going to go see an attraction, so you just kind of like you have to be stuck in this little thing. Also, it helps with uh, again distancing from other people. Right. It could be like you have to stay within a certain. You could be <laughs> just, repelled by like other people's shoes, but like still keep you on the. It kind of makes me think of like Wally. Oh, yeah. You know how they had to go around in those little yes. carts? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene with all the little robots kind of like everywhere. Yeah. And the people were just so like gelatinous, no bones. Amazing. Just blobs of people being shifted around. But that's not what we're doing here. You can walk. Right, you right. can get your exercise. Yeah. Just have the shoes on. Special shoes. Safety shoes. That's anyway. Great. Yeah. Awesome story. Thanks, Megan. I loved it. Yes. Thank you. And... um. Our Patreon episode, bonus episode, it should be out any minute. It should be soon. It should be soon. We have kind of um, a special, we have a, a friend working on it. So um, yeah, we're trying out a new thing where Megan doesn't edit everything. Yep. I think this may or may not be my last episode editing. So just just hang in there with us. We got another bonus coming out we're this making month. It. Yep. Yes. It's gonna so happen. it's going to happen. And then to give you guys a heads up that we'll be doing a break for the summer soon but don't worry we'll give you some more details on that when we get closer to it a little summer break yep. yeah so it, it won't be too bad don't worry you'll make it It'll and if you fine. need more episodes to listen to you can always go to our patreon uh mm-hmm. and join become a patron and uh, you get all those bonus episodes and mm-hmm. we're gonna be starting up the science news again and there you go all those past episodes yeah do it so if you'd like to become a patreon Check out our website, click on our Patreon link, or you can go to our link tree on Instagram and check out our Patreon that way. Other ways you can support, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker, possibly two if you send us pictures of your pets. Fill out the contact form on our website, or you can just email us at you're gonna die out there at gmail.com and send me your mailing address. It's that easy. You can also support us by checking out our sponsor links on our website sponsor page. All of our sponsors are eco-friendly, zero waste. You will get discounts using our discount codes and the links that we provide. And you can also support us by following us on Instagram or Twitter and listening on any platform like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Oh, and if you have ideas for stories or you saw some interesting news or some science news, feel free to send us an email or send us a DM on Instagram. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Have you been in a hot springs? I went to a hot spring in Bali. I went there too. So gross. Yeah. Yeah, It was slimy and stinky. No, thank you. Yeah. The water was nice. I was like, wow, it's like taking a bath with like a bunch of people. It's great. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) What, what's President Grant's first name? Do you remember? Not Hugh. Uh... (laughs) Gilbert? No. I don't remember. I have no idea. Parts that extend into Montana and and Idaho. Idaho. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to Dijon Mustard Park. <laughs> Dijon on the rock. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Do you have any Grey Poupon? Like, it could have been. Could have been. Have you ever, like, ac- accidentally washed and dried, like, a wool sweater? 
I <laughs> I have watched it's comical. one and like and like laid it out to dry and it shrunk like a little bit, but like no, I've never done. <laughs> I actually washed and dried a sweater and it was like I knew no person small enough that it would fit. I didn't like, other than like a an infant or something or, or like a cat. It literally went from like a medium sized human <laughs> to like yeah, this like gerbil size. That's <laughs> like what happened. Uh, that's anyway. when you just like put it in like a shadow box and just hang it up on your wall <laughs> like it's like a christmas tree ornament yeah <laughs> that's amazing so so people let me just tell you this is an outtake yeah sometimes when i'm in my backyard with the kids or whatever and we're mm-hmm. like doing like whatever chickens running around playing there's like somebody flying their damn drone like over our house they're like wow like around and we're always like it's really creepy it's like are they watching and it's not only our i mean it's just the neighborhood but it's like it's super creepy and i hate it like it feels very um invasive or uh what's the word when somebody yeah invasive invasive i guess it's just yeah like somebody's peeking in on your Mm -hmm. your life or what you're doing at your house and you're like, like i'm just trying to feed my chickens i'm like listen my chickens really hate this yeah and don't fly your drones on um, uh, federal lands yeah, unless you have a permit to do so. Right. You will get in big trouble You will get, that. see, you're going to get fined. <clears throat> and you're clogging up the geysers. Fail. Okay. Sorry, continue. It makes me think of when I first started watching Mad Men. And then I think maybe it's like the first episode. There's like this idyllic setting. They're sitting on like a picnic blanket and they're eating and it's like so nice. And they have, you know, like uh, disposable plates and some like cups or whatever. Mm-hmm. They eat and they finish and then they just shake off their trash into the grass. And I was like, was that a thing? Did people not pick up their trash? Probably at a time. I Because, be- you know, a lot of people had jobs to go around and just pick up trash. Right, maybe. And so that was just like the high-minded thing to do. Just somebody else will clean it up. Right. Yeah. <sighs> so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, our our Google search history. We could, if we ever are implicated in any kind of crime, they're going to be like, "What is wrong with you?" I know, right? Why do you need to know these things? When does your face melt off? It's fine. <laughs> I'm glad that I have a dog who's scared of everything. <laughs> just won't, won't even get in a car. He won't even get in the... It's so difficult to get him in the car. Yeah, because he's so oh, he's, heavy. Well, and he has a low center of gravity. Yeah. It's like when you try to pick him up, he just like kind of... He kind of like, I don't know, grips himself to the earth somehow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. 